Hey everybody, welcome to Comedy on Vinyl. Um, as you can see, it's been an entire month since our last episode. Um, apologies for that. Um, the uh, the reason that happened is uh, we had uh, a death in the family. My father-in-law, Tom Smith, passed away uh, unexpectedly just before Thanksgiving. We, uh, we flew out to Detroit to uh, go to a memorial and uh, help celebrate his life, um, but... Uh, yeah, needless to say, that has uh, thrown a bit of a curveball uh, at us uh, personally and creatively. Um, but the only reason I really uh, want to bring it up here is that he was a really, I mean, obviously, I want to bring it up because it's a personal thing and that's why we haven't, haven't had an episode in a while. Um, but also, he was a really big supporter of the show and of me, but really specifically of the show. He's a guy who was so excited that uh, I got to interview Philip Proctor from the Fireside Theater that like I, I don't know I don't know how to describe it but he was incredibly excited and what's so funny is how much he wished he could have been here for that and uh, how much I wish I could have been there when he interviewed Cheech and Chong at the height of their fame in the 70s uh, on the blog post today you're gonna see uh, a picture of him after his interview with those guys and uh, yeah just an awesome guy lost him way too soon way too young he's only 62 um, but, uh, yeah, before he was, uh, a well-respected attorney on both sides, he was a DJ at just about every major metropolitan market. And, uh, he was awesome. And, uh, you know, in our hearts is still awesome, obviously. Uh, did some amazing, wonderful things for some people in his last years as an amazing attorney. And before that, just was an insane entertainer and uh, lover of music, lover of comedy. And he was an actor, too. Um, really looked up to him. And, uh... Yeah, it uh, it's obviously sad to have him gone, but um, you know we're gonna continue to do the best job we can on this podcast uh, because it's the right thing to do, obviously, and in his honor um, because again he was a huge supporter, wonderful guy, and damn it, one of these days <laughs> I'm gonna recreate that photo uh, that he had uh, with Cheech and Chong, and uh, I you know what I'm gonna challenge everybody who looks at it to tell me what the hell is in Cheech's mouth. We think it might be a potato chip, uh, but uh, it's pretty awesome. Either way, um, thank you guys for your patience and for waiting. Uh, this episode is uh, pretty great, actually. This was Sarah Pocock's idea. If you remember, Sarah Pocock came on a while back to talk about Paul F. Tompkins, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. She's a great artist, great animator, and um, she draws comedians like just like nobody I've ever seen. And uh, she had the idea that uh, she should have someone introduce her to an album she'd never heard before. And we were at James Urbaniak's birthday party. She proposed the idea, and he instantly picked An Evening with Mike Nichols and Elaine May, which is a personal favorite of mine. And so that's what we did. We, we sat there, we discussed it, and uh, yeah, she got to you know, say her first impressions, James and I got to talk about it from perspective of somebody who'd, you know, some people who'd heard it before. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm tentatively calling it a discovery episode and I'm capitalizing D-I-S-C. That's just, it's, when I say it out loud, I, I like it less, but it's going to stay because I've got nothing else to call it. Uh, open submissions, really, if you've got a, a better title for this sub-series of comedy on vinyl. Um, but yeah, so it's a really great episode. Please enjoy. Uh, I've really only put one clip of each of their sketches in here, so it's not the every 10 minutes thing. Uh, but you really, you don't want to kill the whole thing. Uh, you know, you just want a little taste. So anyway, the uh, mother and father 
grandmother and grandfather of, of improv comedy in many ways. Mike Nichols and Elaine May being discussed by Sarah Pocock and James Urbaniak. Oh, and uh, sorry, as if this intro wasn't long enough, uh, a couple things. First of all, the Rusty Warren episodes will be coming up ASAP. I uh, just have to edit those. You know, just got to make sure I go through and uh, do her justice and make sure there's some great clips in there from her, all of her many albums. Um, also, stay tuned at the end of this episode and uh, listen to a very mini baby episode with me and Rob Cutner. Uh, one of the Conan writers, uh, he came on not that long ago to talk about his album, It's Okay to Do Stuff. He's got another album coming up. Uh, the proceeds go to charity. It's called 2776. It's a history of America, past, present, and future. Um, and it's amazing. And I'll, I'll be throwing a clip at the end of the holiday song that they just released on uh, Black Friday record day. So, yeah, enjoy that. Please just uh, take a listen at the end. Thanks so much. Information. Uh, Operator, give me the number, please, of uh, George Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, at 4411 Huguenot Walloon Drive. That is George Kaplan. Yes, that's right. That is Kaplan. Mm -hmm, Yes. That is K as in knife. (laughs) A as in aardvark. P as in pneumonia, L as in luscious, A as in artwork again, N as in Newell Post, Kaplan? Uh, I, I think so, yes. Just one moment, I will look that number up for you. Right, thank you very much. Hey everybody, this is Comedy on Vinyl, it's Jason Klom, and this week we're doing a very special episode. I have Sarah Pocock and James Urbaniak in the studio with me. Say hi, kids. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Why and we be back here. This was Sarah's idea. You wanted to have James pick an album that you have never heard before. Yes. And introduce you to it. Yeah, I hatched this plan up to you. It's good. It's a good idea. <laughs> and then we both bombarded James mm-hmm. at his birthday party, which he was kind enough to invite both of us to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then and we I... show up and immediately pitch this episode to it's him. It's good. And then I think, did this just pop into my head instantly? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing you thought of. And it's an album that I owned, mm-hmm. like, in the 80s. Yeah. And I, I, I may not have listened to it since then. Yeah. Or maybe the early... Like, it had been maybe 20 years since I'd heard it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So I listened to it again for this. Why? I, mean, I don't know why it just, po- just popped yeah. into my head. It's like, oh, well, that's a comedy album I always enjoyed. Let's yeah. just do that, and it's old, and you weren't familiar with it. Sarah. That's right. I never... Now, you were familiar with it, because oh, you yeah. have a framed copy of it hanging in the room that we're I do. I do. I love this album. It's one of my favorites of all time. Just because, I mean, obviously, it's not... It's polished versions of improv, but that it came from improv at all is strong yeah. and wonderful. Yeah, they were... I mean, I, I'm fascinated by, like, the proto improv people mm-hmm. they were they were in a group called the compass players yes which right was basically which birthed second city mm-hmm. people from that then formed second city in chicago right but yeah they they're very early uh people in the kind of modern comedy that you know still exists in the shadow of, of the compass players and yeah. the original second city i it's- guess i didn't realize this was from improv, I yeah. thought it, I thought they were just sketches. That changes my oh, that changes all everything. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. When no, they that's started really creating scenes. They were in this very early improv troupe called the Compass Players, 
and like a lot of their stuff came out of the improvisation. Right. Although I don't know specifically if the what number of these sketches, if any, came out of improvising. Right. Right. She, in particular, on the album, has an improvisational quality to her performance Definitely. in a way that he doesn't as much. Right. Right. It being as straight as he is, I guess it's, I suppose it makes more sense. And she does a lot more voice work, I feel like, than he does, too. We're she, talking about an evening with Nichols and May, Yes, by we are the talking way. about an evening with Nichols and May. We're not talking we about... We said that up front, right? Uh, we, <laughs> we said them. We said it's, who it So, was. for those who don't know, it's a lo- They, of course, started out with a very early, Im- like, proto-improv group called the Compass Players, and then... They had a real rapport. I think they met in Chicago mm-hmm. when they were both in their 20s. Right. And they met and started doing all these scenes together, and they just had this great energy. Right. And they were both really funny. Mm-hmm. And so then they formed their own little thing, and they became kind of a well-known comedy team in the 50s. They used to be on TV. and mm-hmm. And so this was a Broadway show of their sketches. Oh, right. Right, right, right. They also did some awesome studio albums, which actually mm-hmm. have a very different quality. Like improvisations library. to music, which is really strong and also really poignant in a couple parts. Like there's some really, yeah. really sad stuff on that. Actually, oh, there's yeah, there's uh, just really good, but it, it's very funny until like the very end. Yeah. A couple of them. Sarah Pocock, you'd probably enjoy some of the studio stuff because it does have different. There's no audience; it's just them talking to microphones. Yeah, mm-hmm. and some of it is very improv-y. Mm-hmm. and then some of it is also very scripted, like the famous more gauze. Script. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- I'd never listened to. It anything from Nichols and May before. Um, I, After I listened to the album and I started doing my research for coming on the podcast, I looked up uh, Nichols' like, film work and I realized I was familiar with him like yeah. just from being a director and sure. a filmmaker. But yeah, I like the their work as an entity was totally new to me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was a really good introduction to them, actually. I'm glad that this was my first foray into... Uh, Nichols and May. Yeah, it's nice to. Uh, they are, I think, the exception uh, in terms of very successful improv people because they they moved on. A, a lot of it, like Del Close, was in the Compass Players with them. Apparently, he didn't get along with Mike Nichols that well, um, but he kept. He just stayed with improv the rest of his life, and Mike Nichols moved on and did a whole lot of different and things. Lane became a very big screenwriter right. and an occasional director. Mm-hmm. I've and had people like one of the most esteemed like script doctors she's known for oh, coming right. in and punching up things mm-hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> i've had people pitch ishtar to me which i still have not seen you now but, you i've know. never seen ishtar either and i that's really lacking i know there in some quarters that's blood are you familiar with this film uh i am vaguely aware of the concept of it yeah and it was like it's it's regarded as one of the great disasters yeah because yes. it starred two big movie stars mm-hmm. Warren Beatty and dustin hoffman and she wrote and directed it right and it's just considered like one of the legendary flops of all time right but i know some people who swear by it and absolutely love it and think it's an undeserved flop i've heard that too and it's screened at places like here in town like cine family and like the new bev too i think mm-hmm. and, uh I, I feel like there's a a group of people who appreciate it maybe it's because you you want to root for sure the underdog the underdog <laughs> so sarah as a newbie yes like, what were your what were your impressions of this record Okay, so I'd never, I came up with this uh, idea for this episode of the podcast, wanting to hear a comedy album I'd never heard before mm-hmm. and have it introduced to me by someone who is very familiar familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is the one that was chosen, An Evening with Nichols and May, and uh, 
I listened to it, and the first thing that struck me was how the performances, like the actual performances of the characters, were so funny. And mm -hmm. I feel like funny acting and like funny voices and funny character work mm -hmm. is sort of timeless. Sure. Like it. it it's funny the day it's recorded, and mm -hmm. then like it's still funny listening to it forty years later. Right, even when there's some dated concepts on there. That, yeah, that and that's matter. the other thing. Like the performances haven't aged at all. There's <laughs> <laughs> references to Bell Telephone, right. and, like Vanguard, <laughs> yes, and Satellite. Right. I mean, the album is recorded so, in 1960. Yes. Mm -hmm. When so, they're both like in their late twenties, mm -hmm. basically, he's like twenty nine, she's like twenty eight. Right. So some of the setups uh, and references were obviously like above and beyond over my head, like <laughs> miles over my head. <laughs> I was just sitting there sort of twiddling my thumbs and being like, oh, I guess you had to pay a dime <laughs> yeah. back then. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a sketch. The first sketch is a phone sketch where a man is talking to an operator <laughs> and they'd say, it's a very frozen and amber yes. <laughs> situation yeah. where the man uh, has to... Uh, make a phone call, he's had a change, he's, there's an emergency going on, his car's broken down, he has to get to a meeting, and he's dealing with these operators trying to get his dime back. And she's just doing these three voices that are, it doesn't matter that it's clearly her every time. <laughs> they're yeah, just, they're minor adjustments. <laughs> they're so brilliant. And I, the whole time, actually, I've always suspected, are they trying to suggest she's actually the same woman? But I don't think so. It, it, I don't think you so. Know, but it's still funny. It's, it's, I, I don't know. Her, the last operator is sort of a romantic savior. <laughs> a sort of breathy, quasi-sexy operator. That's one of the biggest laughs on the record. Is uh -huh. he says, he's been through all this stuff. Mm -hmm. He just can't get an answer and can't solve this problem. And finally he says, operator. He's really doing kind of 50s nervous guy voice. Yeah. He's a real archetype. He does a lot of this <laughs> on the record. <laughs> and he says, one of your operators inadvertently took my last dime. And she goes, oh my God. <laughs> Which at that point is really funny. I read an interview with him years ago mm -hmm. uh, about early improv and stuff. And yeah. It was very interesting because he actually talked about how he can't listen to the record. He hates his performance on it. That that was into the run. Yeah, okay. And I don't remember the exact words he used, but he basically said, oh, I'm just doing, making noises, sounds. <laughs> and, like, I can see what he means. Yeah. Because he's, like, any comedy performance, you know what works. Mm-hmm. And you do what works. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of, he's very locked into a certain sort of breaking voice right. thing that he does. And this sort of, it is a very sort of, the album's from 1960, but it's a very 50s kind of, in a crazy way, and their, their comedy is completely different, it's almost related to what, like, Paul Lind right. and Alice Ghostly were doing. Mm -hmm. Where there are these characters who mm -hmm. kind of have this, I just call it 50s nervous voice. Yeah, it's yeah. like a thing mm -hmm. that people did back then. Yeah. I wish I was alive back then. I would have cleaned up. <laughs> James, we all know you wish you were alive back then. <laughs> I, also, I don't believe in rights for women or black people. <laughs> understand, so understandable. It would, you know, really what? just be a lot easier to live. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Nichols and May are progressives. I just want to throw that out there. He, I, it is, it is interesting to me that he would not. I, I guess a lot of people are like that. Don't like to hear their own stuff. But it's interesting because they are really funny, and the sure. acting is wonderful. Yes, like you said, and. Uh, 
Also, uh, there's a thing that he does repeatedly, which really cracks me up, which he gets into this rhythmic thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's a sketch where the man's mother, the man's talking to his mother, and she's complaining that he never calls. Mm-hmm. And then she's just kind of catching up, and he just got, while she's talking, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah that right. was funny. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. really funny yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this kind of mechanical rhythm thing. Uh-huh. Is this is this a choice that I really enjoy. But she does have more of kind of like spirit of improvs. She seems to be ad-libbing and mm-hmm. kind of just kind of verbally doodling around the margins a bit more than he right. is on the record. We're very, very lucky to have with us tonight, sitting right here next to me, lovely Miss Barbara Musk, who is in town. Uh, Barbara's uh, publicizing her latest motion picture, Two Gals in Paris. How are you, Barbara? I'm fine. I really wish you could get a good look at her, ladies and gentlemen. I I want to tell you right here now, Barbara, you're a very, very good-looking little cookie. You really are. I mean, I wish you was television, sweetheart, because you're just about as good-looking as they come. You really are. I mean it. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's okay. No, but seriously. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I, well, I, I just want to say, Jack, that it, it's a real great pleasure to be on the show tonight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And a real great uh-huh. pleasure to be uh-huh. here. How about that? Barbara, I know this will interest you, sweetheart. I was uh, talking to a very, very dear friend of mine today. He's a very, very old friend, very close, very, very wonderful friend. Uh, Bernard Baruch. Uh, Bernie is a heck of a good kid. I love him. I tell you the thing about Bernie, he's not like a lot of your financiers. By that I mean he's not out only for money, and that's a very, very terrific thing to see. We're all crazy about Bernie. What do you say, sweetheart? Um, actually, Jack, I think you're right. How about that? (laughs) Really, no, but I do. I think that, uh... Bernie is a real great guy, uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh, you know I'm mean, a real great financer, uh-huh, <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, just you know, <laughs> well, really, just for me personally, I think he's you know like one of the greatest. Isn't she terrific? <laughs> like specifically in the uh, the name dropping sketch, which is still one of my favorites. There's she's playing this vapid actress, and every time the audience laughs at her performance, she's laughing back as though the character. As though she has no idea what's going on. And she thinks, oh, I was just funny. I should continue laughing. Like, she's playing it so well. Also, that's like the vapid actress being interviewed as an archetype that hasn't dated a second. No, absolutely not. (laughs) It's amazing. Also, listening to it again, it's like, it's that voice she does in that is almost proto-Valley Girl. Right. She's like, Actually, I think you're right. I know. And it's almost like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like, that was not an archetype back Mm-mm. then. Mm-mm. But, like, it's like, is that the earliest suggestion of that voice? Right. That we still make fun of? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that sketch in particular, like, for me, someone hearing it for the first time, it was a really good representation of that album as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that, like, the performances. Like, her performance in particular was so strong, but then, like, the comedy itself felt sort of uh, dated to me. It, well, because of the names, for sure. The, <laughs> like, the any sort of, part well, of any sort just... of referential comedy, like, it's just, it's it's uh, doomed to, sure. to Yeah, it's like they're at, a, they're at a premiere. It's a parody of, like, a, a movie premiere interview. Right. It's supposed to be a, an old-fashioned, like, radio interview, and... They're just named dropping. I mean, part of the joke is that all the names are dropping are a very highbrow. Yes. So it's like Bernard Schweitzer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like philosophers. Uh-huh. 
I mean, it's kind of like if there, if there was a sketch and someone's doing Carson Daly imitating some girl, and they're talking about Malcolm Gladwell and right, right, <laughs> Richard Dawkins. <laughs> That's that extra level of the joke. Yeah, I guess it, 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 it could just as easily be updated that way. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally understand because when I first heard it, I'm like, I know that's a funny reference, but <laughs> but uh, I'm like, not uh, knowledgeable enough about this era <laughs> to the laugh out loud. Yet. Stein bit was pretty good. I got that. Gertrude Stein. Yeah, I do know pretty, who that is. Still a pretty yeah, good the first one is like Bernard Baruch, <laughs> yes. who has a school at Columbia named after him, and that's all I knew about him. Yeah, it's like his some, <laughs> which I guess is probably like saying Donald Trump or something. Like sure. he was a you know. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a philosopher. Uh, and then, you know, Ernest Hemingway, at least, was an easy yes. reference. And I, I love Papa. <laughs> she, the way she says, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, she's then, really trying to pronounce it correctly. Then the part where she's like, Albert Schweitzer. Yes. It doesn't, yeah. It, the, the punchline, of course, is that the last name he drops is God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very close personal friend of mine. That's a, a real uh, button. The God button. <laughs> is there anything that, that this, uh, that you might listen to now or see now that reminds you, or that this is reminding you of, feels like the roots of? Because I don't know how much improv you go and see. I know you see a lot of stand up. Um, I, I see a lot of improv too. Okay. I, I really like uh, ASCAT at mm-hmm. UCB, and uh, I was just to iOS last weekend. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine is in a comedy or uh, an improv troupe there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I felt I don't like it. All felt so old timey to me. Like the, mm-hmm. the the calling his mother sketch reminded me a lot of like. Prairie Home Companion, like mm-hmm. Garrison Keillor has sure. a thing where like his mother calls and All it's right. like exactly the same thing mm-hmm. where it's like her, uh, and like it's much more of a written sketch than sure. this. It, it's less like off the cuff. That's also a funny thing is they're both Jews mm-hmm. and that's a, that's basically a Jewish mother sketch, sure. but their surname is White. <laughs> like they're deliberately de-ethnicized. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. But do you see a lot of... <laughs> And maybe I'm totally out of the loop, but how many two-person improv or even sketch teams are there anymore? Yeah. Do you see any out here? That's an interesting question. Because that was even a thing I remember, like, into the 70s when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. There were comedy, two-person comedy teams that would appear on TV. Sure. And I remember being in college in the early 80s, and, like, there were a couple of, like, comedy teams that Mm -hmm. performed. Yeah. And did a lot of, like... More comedy teams in that era. One guy would always do a lot of sound effects on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, why didn't I date the other day? <laughs> That's a car and doors or something. Remember that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's a good question. Like the only people coming to mind for me are like sort of comedy musicians. Yeah. Like Flight of the Concord, right. Garfunkel and Oates. Oh, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. That, that Hard and Firm. Pollen uh, Storm. Pollen yeah. Storm, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. It exists in that like comedy music people yeah that's right but that's like in in terms of this format Mm -hmm. like just two-person improv i i can't remember any time i've seen something like that live right i think because you have to sort of uh, with a lot of improv it's very hit and miss so people are sort of hoping you know maybe this group will work better with this audience tonight because you never know yeah you know certain people play off of a certain audience better than others but here i I just it feels like a bigger risk with two people but their rapport like clearly their rapport with each other is so strong Mm -hmm. and so good like 
it, it, it's clear, like, 50 years later, like, it's still, like, the bond they have with each other is very, very strong, and you can well, hear yeah. it in their performances with each other. There's a famous anecdote they've told about how they met when they were both, like, students in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I think the story is, have, you must have heard this story. I haven't, That no. he was, like, sitting at a bus stop or something, and she came over and started doing a Russian spy voice. Oh, I have. And he started playing along. Yes. <laughs> and I forget what their first exchange was. Uh-huh. That's amazing. But she was like, something like, it was very simple. She's like, can I see it here? You know? <laughs> and it was like, yes, you may. And they just started doing a bit. Like, that's Holy how they met. shit. And, you know, look at the album. I mean, they're both cute. They're adorable. <laughs> they're adorable. They're like two pieces. They're very good looking. They're good looking. It sounds like the beginning of a romantic I know. comedy. Yet they but they were never, never. a couple. Right. Yeah. They were just collaborators mm -hmm. but had a very it was a meat cute it was they did have a meat cute <laughs> and they, oh i think i just remembered uh-huh she was he she was sitting there mm -hmm. this is the story they told i mean of course it's apocryphal but sure come on right it doesn't matter it sounds good mm -hmm. <laughs> but they claim that he was sitting she was sitting somewhere on uh -huh. a bench and he approached her and said can i sit here mm -hmm. and she said if you wish. And <laughs> <laughs> also amazing. funny because he's actually a German by birth and came to the States when he was seven. Oh, really? I didn't know so that. He's got a total American... Yeah, well, he, he was born in 31 and his parents played okay. the Nazis. Sure. That's crazy. And so, but he was like seven, so he totally lost his accent. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can't even hear it. A lot of people who come over and young, they still have this little cadence or something. Right, right. He sounds totally American. Yeah, 100% yeah. New York, that guy. It's amazing. USA! <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the other thing, she's too, from is... Pennsylvania. Oh, is she? I just, oh, okay. I did wiki that. I did not know that. They they have... I mean, I, I know that I've heard, and again, it's... I apologize for, for not knowing, that, you know, there, there had always been rumors that one or the other of them wished there was a romantic relationship, etc., 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 but there, it feels like they... Some people use that energy creatively. You it's like know? Mulder and Scully. Yeah, right. They wouldn't work as well together. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. Oh, I'm sure. Please, come on. I mean, you know? they're both super attractive and charismatic and brilliant. Of course, they have those feelings for each other. Right. Well, there's that adultery sketch. The adultery sketch. So um, the, good. Yeah. That was actually my favorite <laughs> sketch on the album because mm -hmm. it was almost an example of, okay, here's comedy from the '60s that's about stereotypes, mm -hmm. and this, like. There's the danger of this aging very, very poorly. Right. But it didn't at mm -mm, all. No. Like, it's two Americans having a very melodramatic affair. <laughs> and then two uh, British people being sort of like wry and crisp about <laughs> so everything. Good. So good. And then like uh, a French couple, and they're just sad that her husband's not there, so they can't have their three way. And it's yeah. so. Like it the Americans are just consumed with guilt. Oh, so good. And then. Nice to have the extra time. <laughs> yes. So fucking good. Oh, what a fat woman. Fat. Just incredibly fat. And her vocal attack is brilliant on uh, they're talking, <laughs> the, 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 for the Americans, it's the man's best friend and the woman's husband. Yes. Uh, and, and they're having the affair with each other. And, uh, and it just starts. They're just talking about how wonderful the man is that they're both portraying. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then oh, yeah, again, like his rhythmic thing, where he gets into this high right and goes, "He's a saint. He's a saint. He's a saint." <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, he's wonderful. And she goes, "He's so trust. He's, he's like he's so trustworthy." And then she says in her wonderful way, yeah, "I couldn't do it if he didn't trust me." <laughs> <laughs> that is, it. it's really, really funny. And 
Uh, they, yeah, and they, I don't they, think it's like it is archetypes, a stereotype mm-hmm. of like the Americans are so hung up about this stuff. The mm-hmm. are Maybe it's cats, because those are the French are like, hey, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's. Uh... And that is still an art a stereotype that exists today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like you could see a variation on that sketch being done today. Sure. Oh, and they, they wouldn't see or something. They wouldn't need to yeah. change it at all. Yeah. Like no. they could perform it <laughs> as is. Mm-hmm. Like the two, them is like the British couple. I think is the funniest bit on the whole album for me. Yeah, because they're just talking about stupid bullshit mm-hmm. while they're waiting. While they're there. waiting, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw Piggy Travel in the other day. Do you know her? Fat Piggy. <laughs> they're just talking about this fat woman they both know forever. And then my, one of my favorite lines on the whole album is, they're just going on and on about Piggy Travel and how, God, she's fat. The fattest damn woman in London. <laughs> and then the one that really cracks me up, he's, he's just, he says, she's basically fat. That's <laughs> 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 another color to describe her fat. She's basically fat. How does she look thin? Yes. Fat. Yes. <laughs> so fucking good. Um, Piggy Trevelyan. <laughs> that's an amazing name. That's just an amazing... Yeah, there's some wonderful... It also starts, one of my favorite jokes is... He's he's call in the operator sketch. He's calling a number and he gives the name and address. And the address is something like forty five Huguenot Maloon Drive, <laughs> which for years I've just walked around saying Huguenot Maloon Drive. <laughs> and you know some really basic word play K as in knife. Yeah. P as in I, pneumonia. Oh, I loved that bit. Yeah, so Newell much. post. That's that's when I learned about a Newell, what a Newell post was. Talking it's, about uh, dated references. Right, yeah. It's like, like a hat rack. Explain yeah. this to me, old man. A Newell Post <laughs> is some old-fashioned name for like a hat rack or a coat rack that you'd see in someone's living room. Oh, okay. It's just weird to me. I looked it up when I got that record Yeah. when I was like 20 years old. It was a lot harder to look things up at that point. It's true. You know. That was also a dated time. Yeah. I couldn't just go on the internet. I had to look in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. It made comedy a Dust lot harder for face. me as a kid, you know? <laughs> it did. When I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to live with not knowing what the hell they're talking about. Well, like, James, you seem so... Like, your interests lie in, like, an era that's even before your time. It's true. Like, you love, like, 30s screwball comedies. Yeah. And, like, this album came out, like, the year you were born. It came out, like, before... Uh, that it's It came out in, like, 60 or 61. Oh, okay. So, before... It was recorded at a show in 60. I was born in 63. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. So before yeah, like this whole stuff is before your time even. So how did how did you find it when you were? I think I just got really interested in like, like, in the early eighties when I was like eighteen, nineteen. I got very interested in like the early Second City people. Uh huh. How did you find them without Google? That's a good question. <laughs> there are there's some great books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just from reading like books about. Then there's a there's a really great oral history called Something Wonderful Right Away mm-hmm. by Jeffrey Sweet. That's from I've like the eighties. That okay. That's just interviews with people from the Compass Players, uh-huh. with Nicholson May. I think that's the book where he talks about not liking his performance. Oh, okay. That's so funny to me. It's the idea that it had become sort of mechanical. Right. And like it that I think his basic thing was it had lost its spontaneity for him when he heard it. But of course right. performers are always there. It's our own worst critic. Of course. Miss, yes. please return my dime. Sir, I cannot return your dime to you until you hang up. And when you hang up, your dime will be returned to you. No, it won't. Operator, listen to me. I know that sound. I've heard it all my life. <laughs> that dime is in there. Information cannot argue with a closed mind. No. 
Why don't you try hanging up? Because I can't take the chance. I'll, I'll lose the dime. I'll lose you. Look, miss, can, can I go over your head? Is there someone else I can speak to? A human? You wish to speak to a human? Yes. About your alleged dime? It's a real dime. Just one moment. I will connect you with the information supervisor. Oh, thank you very much. Hello, miss. Operator. Hello. Information. Uh, listen, there, there's no chance that you would say uh, jostle something with your elbow and just cut me off completely. We do not work with our elbows, sir. And I guess I can understand what he's saying. When he says that, I guess I can hear it, but it still sounds so polished that that's what's so good about him. To be able to play that nervous and that... It still seems improvised enough that you can still sound that way to an audience. It's, that's gold right there, to still sound that natural. But yeah, I felt like it really holds up. I hadn't heard it in a long time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you're right, though. It's like it is, the writing was really good, mm -hmm. and they're wonderful performers. And uh, I mean, they were kind of like, they were like the 1960 version of alternative comedy. Yeah. They were I mean, like, what was around before that, though, then, is what I'm asking. Because well, the setup yeah. seemed very... Like from my per yeah, from my perspective, they seem very basic and old fashioned. Mm -hmm. Especially like Monty Python coming out later, and they're so absurd sure. and out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, but like stuff that was happening at that time, there were, there were like it was a time where there were a lot of reviews like this, like right. comedy shows, and there was a show called Broadway Faces, which was a like a yearly show oh, yeah. with young comic performers that were sketches and mm -hmm. music and there would be like new faces of 1952 new mm -hmm. faces of 1953 and right. I remember another interview with Nichols where he said he and Elaine hated new faces mm -hmm. like that was just they considered that comedy really corny mm -hmm. and that was considered old fashioned yeah. so it's funny that they have a little well, what was well obviously the album is from 50 years <sighs> ago sure like well what, what was that that stuff like the new faces stuff I don't I I I don't think I've really heard any of that stuff. No, I, I think, but like, <laughs> I, I just from seeing like variety shows and stuff from that era, mm -hmm. I think there's more of a kind of maybe vaudevillian tradition mm -hmm. of a kind of uh, sketch that I think they were just. I mean, it's a boring word, but they were kind of hip. Yeah, yeah. Like Nichols and May, right? And they just had this sort of. Um, they also had this kind of cool attitude. I mean, look, he's wearing this suit. She's got like this kind of cool, just kind of, I mean, the way they're dressed on that album cover, you could see that. It's a beehive, you guys. Yeah, but <laughs> she has a period hair. <laughs> yeah. She has period hair. But they have, that, that's the height of the Mad Men era right there. Yeah. And that's a style that hasn't dated a second, really, mm -hmm. like young people still dress like that when they go out. I think an interesting thing is that it's a leap from jokey humor. And that was a, th you know, that people That's were paying to see situations okay. much more than they were, like you said, vaudevillian yes, stuff. exactly. That it's not like joke, 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 even though it's full of jokes. Oh, really sure. Funny. It comes out of improv, mm -hmm. so it just has a different texture and tone. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, I mean, right now we're we're talking about this development of all these acting teachers who wanted you to be natural, all these writers who were putting the word fuck in things, and that was amazing to everybody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was beat era, everything, and everything had to be more natural. I you think know? to people it was sort of the way that you'd think of, like, you know, David Cross and... Yeah. Uh, Bob Odenkirk. About whatever, people for, like that, vis-a-vis -vis 80s brick wall comedy. Yeah, yeah. So they were... 
Okay. They were they were positioning themselves against the 50s version of 80s brick wall. Right. Which sure. was sort of this other kind of comedy mm-hmm. that was just sort of... Again, these are cliches that are still used today. They're smart. Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. They're smart and they're also, they're like in their 20s and they're mm-hmm. sort of going like, we're making fun of this stuff that we hear on TV. and Right. Like they're... It's not very political. No, it's not no, like not it's not all. subversive, Mm-mm. but it just has a different texture mm-hmm. and attack, right? In the sense that sort of alternative comedy has a different texture and attack than an I a comedy that we consider kind of dated. Like I'm just saying, like you know, eighties brick wall, right? <laughs> like yeah, observational yeah, yeah. comedy. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> like I think something had become a cliche, a certain kind of j- very joke oriented. Sketch mm-hmm. was the was the thing that they were kind of changing. I mean, even Abbott and Costello were probably still doing things on TV right. at this point, or it just stopped. You know, okay. much as I love Abbott and Costello, sure. uh, that was what we were trying to move on from. But, but yeah, that they have a kind of almost stripped down thing going on. Yeah, where they're not like here are the jokes, folks. Mm-hmm. They're just organically creating these scenes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. That's what's That's what's, true what's because different. I guess they do feel like scenes and like sketches. Like they have yeah, they're, today's they're, they're structure. Little plays. They're little plays, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that's a format that still exists to And like they both went on to become very prominent like writers and directors. Mm-hmm. So they're they're sort of natural dramatists. Yeah. Here oh, this brings up a good point though cuz I looked up and I saw that he had directed The Graduate, which is another movie from the 60s. Yeah, a few, like 67, like seven years after this. But I feel like that movie hasn't aged one iota, like nothing about it, maybe except for like the cars people are driving and like the clothes they're wearing. Yeah. Like every, every, like Ben totally acts like a millennial, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like someone my age or Mm -hmm. today. And like, right. He's sort of, yeah, exactly. And then I guess I was surprised at the contrast very... between a film like that and then uh, I don't know, just some, some of the more dated elements of the funny, stuff on the record. Like, there's comic adultery. Right. <laughs> there it is. There's True. comic adultery. Mm-hmm. And, and a very almost, poignant... Uh, and essentially, Anne Bancroft is almost like a an Elaine May character. Oh, yeah. You can imagine, like, the brilliant seduction scene as mm-hmm. a Nicholson May sketch. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's a good point. He throws the keys and they land in the fish tank. And, <laughs> and you, like you can see Nichols and May actually doing that. Yeah. Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Benjamin. And you know, Elaine always does that throaty voice thing that Ed Bancroft does. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I imagine with the right soundtrack, <laughs> with the right soundtrack, The Graduate might be a much goofier movie. But it's interesting. <laughs> I never thought about the parallels, but like the one of the reasons that movie is so great is just the behavioral. Um, resonance of mm-hmm. those scenes like they're yeah. really beautifully acted yes. and detailed sure. and richly comedic mm-hmm. but very behavioral in the same way that their comedy is <laughs> I'm gesturing to the yep. <laughs> album I'll, every t- but yeah, I need to tell the listener every time one of us mentions the album all three of us turn our heads <laughs> Have and look oh, over no. at well, the framed amazing. album cover on what the wall what does that mean about us I the beautiful really photo I looked it's a Richard Avedon photo but uh yeah, that there is a kind of, I never thought about it, but there's a kind of sensibility mm-hmm. and 
to the record that you can see in The Graduate, even though it's totally different. And also, that's 67, so that's getting into the countercultural era. Sure. 1960 is still, for all intents and purposes, the 50s. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. things hadn't changed culturally, culturally in that way. And it, it was nice listening to this and, like, not having to worry about laughing at racism and sexism. <laughs> right. Because there, yeah. I, it, it was really refreshing, like, not, like, there's none of that in there. It's not yeah. sexist or, or racist at all. It's true. It's all like just very human. It's very human. And then there's, like, the, the adultery sketch is probably the one that uses the most, like, era stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're just so uh, silly. Yeah. And they're not judgmental they're not stereotypes, judgmental. really. And, like, I mean, we still use them today. Yeah. And, I mean, they, you know, if you started off making fun of your own culture, I think it adds a little gravity <laughs> sure. to the rest of it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to think if... Uh, I had a... I have a Second City album here somewhere, but I don't know if they're in it because it's very early. I don't, think, yeah, see, I don't think they were actually in Second City. Were they? Okay. They, yeah, they, right. People like Del Close, people were in the Compass. They formed Second City, but Nichols and May ended up doing their own thing. And Right, 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 right. So they never actually, you know, it's not in there. That's yeah. But um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. I, what I was wondering is, I do, I've never seen footage of them doing their ske- sketches ever, so I don't know oh, if it's there's a little costume bit on change. YouTube. Do you know? Well, I've seen some TV appearances. Okay, of them from that period. I've seen like commercials they did from the period. That's all I've seen. There's a, there's a really there is a variety show sketch they did where they do a parody of like an awards ceremony, okay. which is kind of a variation <laughs> yeah. on the name dropping sketch, yeah. like making fun of sort of fifty showbiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about how insincere everybody is. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I just wonder if they if they were big costume change people or if it's very black box, let's dress like this the whole time again, looked at the album. Oh, I'm imagining that it was just, that they were just in some generic outfit like the suit and the little black dress that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess any of those sketches could be played in exactly what they were wearing. It wouldn't really matter. It's just so interesting no, to do I, it that but way. But that, that's also a thing I think that was probably a big thing of like, New Faces, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure was a kind of thing where, like, the grandma sketch, the lady was in the grandma outfit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big hats, yeah, and that they were like, no, we're, we're cooler. Yeah, yeah. Like, there is a kind of 50s coolness, mm-hmm. jazz era kind of stripped down yeah, yeah, yeah. coolness to what they were doing, too. Mm-hmm. I did really like the musical cues yeah. on the album a lot. Yeah. Like, was that a thing? That yeah, that's like like early Second City always had like piano segues. Okay, that's very sort of traditional button music mm-hmm. for like sketches of that era. Like early Second City is all about these piano, dun, dun, you know. Yeah. Whereas now it's still shitty rock stings from the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> They're still playing stuff that was great on MTV. Also, I I did this morning when I wikied it. I mean, I didn't know a lot about this stuff. Sure, but I did, but I realized I didn't realize it was. I didn't remember it was directed by Arthur Penn, the stage. Oh, show, really? The director of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Oh, wow. Another That's amazing. person went on to do very significant film. That's crazy. Yeah. Just that... an interesting time. Like it's 1960. They're all kind of. They're about to get into a new. Place. Yeah, and I, I, I'm wondering what of this in for. I, if if Mike Nichols was at all a director of the show, or if it was just a complete collaboration, because he went on to do so much brilliant directing, and clearly, obviously, like you say, this influenced The Graduate. You know, you can hear it, you can see it, and what he does. Yeah. So I just don't know if he was a director of the two of them in any way, or if it was much more of a collaboration. I'm sure it was just a kind of. I mean, I've been in experiences where it's a sort of 
thing that in New York, like little things that I was involved in mm-hmm. creating, mm-hmm. comedy things, we would have a director who just oversees it, and, and it's just good to have someone sitting there going, yeah, that, pick up the pace there, mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, I'm yeah. sure they were on the same page, because you think about, like, The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde are both, like, very important movies. Yes. That really kind of, both, like, really sort of change things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and that the two of them were, and Elaine May, you know, that's the three of them were like all in the room together. <laughs> yeah, that's. A I'm sure they boy. just had a very similar sensibility, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that this behavioral spontaneity that Mike Nichols felt is lacking in the recorded album uh-huh. was very important to them. Work, 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 and and all darling, day Friday night. I, I kept thinking I gotta call mom. All day Dear, Saturday. Oh, listen, believe and all me. All day Sunday. I, and oh, your father said to me, Phyllis, ma- eat something. You'll faint. Darling, I said, ma- no, Harry, no. I don't want my mouth to be full when my son called. Mom. You never called. Mother, I was sending up Vanguard. I didn't have a second. Well, it's always something, isn't it? Okay, honey. You know, Arthur, I'm sure that all the other scientists there have mothers, you know? And I'm sure that they all find time after their breakfast or before their count off down to pick up a phone and call their mother. Honey, listen, now you have you me on the phone. You know how I worry. Well, I do, that's the point. I read that's in the I've... paper how you keep losing them. Mother! <laughs> I don't lose them. Well, I nearly went out of my mind. Okay, honey, I thought, what if they're taking it out of his pay? Right. Write me a... That was also a thing of just keeping that kind of quality, which mm-hmm. also, I think, separated them from a lot of sketch comedy from that period right they were just trying to do something a little different yeah that's another thing you don't see though is something like this translate i, I, I can't stop looking at the album now that you've said that, <laughs> but I think that we've been doing it the whole yeah, time don't worry very, it's very much like part of the reason it holds up so well is the performances are very spontaneous sure mm-hmm. sure do you i mean how many sh- uh, shows don't do that anymore though they don't translate from a little improv show to a big ass broadway production we don't see mm-hmm. that you know it's not a big you don't see that anymore you know let's adapt a movie and turn it into a musical you see but you're not really seeing improv shows getting that kind of they get a sketch show on tv i guess that's the equivalent if to get big is it now you get your own sketch (laughs) show on comedy (laughs) central for a season you know i could be wrong but you don't see that anymore the kind of expansion from a small improv show to anything that big i mean it was that era was like we were saying it's like it was very big was like these review mm-hmm. reviews, comedy sh- shows on Broadway, and stuff. Mm-hmm. so they they f- it's like they're doing something new, but they also fit into a tradition that was happening at the time. Sure. When you first listened to them, were you just going out of your way to expand your knowledge, or did you know a little bit about them beforehand? I do, yeah, it's funny. It's like it's that's such a funny question, Sarah. It's like, how did you know this? There was no internet, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I remember, like, I just got interested in it, and this, you just the information was just out there, mm-hmm. like reading about them, and and just and uh, yeah, I just got interested in that era. Like I just became, I was I mean they're all brilliant people Alan Arkin all mm-hmm. the early, early sure. Second City people yeah and uh, and so I I just found the record like in a used record store so. mm-hmm. yeah there was no eBay I like discovering comedy that way and I remember really <laughs> liking it a lot I'm mm-hmm. just thinking it was really funny and 
I think that's it too. I think I just bought it. My parents didn't have this one. Most of my early, most of these albums on the wall, my parents probably already had. But then that's one that I think I just bought because I oh, saw so, it and know, liked it. I just it. remembered I had a friend and I think his parents had this record. Mm -hmm. I just remembered that. Okay. Like seeing it there. And I don't remember if I heard it there or not. Mm -hmm. What, Sarah, mm -hmm. as far as like, uh, I don't know, does it, does it add any kind of perspective to you for the comedy that you like to, that you enjoy now? After having heard this, yeah, I I can see um, parallels between like the, the sketches and the improv that was on this album, mm -hmm. and and I guess this the stuff I like now tends to be on the more absurd side, yeah. like the more alt comedy side, right? Um, so I think like post Python comedy is mm -hmm. more like my taste altogether. Sure. But uh, I, I can see the development and the importance of this. Like, I'd have to go back and, like, see what 50s comedy was like. Sure. <laughs> to really, like, make the comparison. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, in terms of performance and, like, rapport and, uh, like, energy, like, that stuff all still feels fresh. Like, it feels like the kind of stuff you go and see at, like, a black box theater anywhere in LA today. Yeah. Is there anything, James, as a performer that you draw from this kind of work? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I know that you don't, you had more oh, of a yeah. theater background specifically, but. Yeah, but like, I love the performances in this record. Mm -hmm. And I, and like I said, like just certain choices that they make, I think are really funny and are probably things that I've drawn from. Mm -hmm. Like, like in the mechanical repetition thing I was talking about yeah. that he does in that and. And yeah, they just they have a wonderful attack. Yeah. Uh, as performers, um, there are a couple of voices he does on there that do remind me of you. So I have always wondered like, <laughs> where some I of your voices it. come from. You yeah, know, I can see it that there's. Uh, I, I love also on. Uh, I love a lot of their studio sketches. Mm -hmm. Where he's very uh, close to the mic, and he kind of uses his—he's kind of using a middle-range register nervous uh, voice in this, for the most part. Yeah. But then in a lot of the sketches, he kind of gets into a lower uh, kind of place, and he's very. There's a great sketch called "Little More Gauze," where he's an—he's a doctor in the middle of an operation, tells the nurse he loves her, and uh, wants her to profess her love back, or he won't finish the operation. <laughs> but it's extra funny because it's so intense, like just. No, I will not continue this operation until you say yes. <laughs> it's a different. It's, it's all about the mic, mm -hmm. and so him being very quiet and intense, yeah. which is it just makes the scene really funny but really unpleasant too. Yeah, that this is dying patient. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she's doing her thing. I mean, they have these wonderful voices. Yeah. She has that beautiful throaty voice. Mm -hmm. So I I've been very influenced by like a lot of the studio stuff. Like I love their their performances on that have a different tone yeah. than this, which is. A theater performance, right. playing to a big audience. Yeah, maybe that's part of like what came off as dated to me then, because it it yeah, read it read theater. so much as a performance. Like there was that sure. extra uh, like detachment from the material okay. in that way. Yeah, that. and there some of the studio stuff of them. There is some stuff of them just improvising where you can hear him laughing. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. I They're love cracking that. each other oh, up. I love which, hearing uh, stuff like and that. And it's really, it's really good. Yeah. Like, that, that's some of the most delightful stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like when they're purely improvising and you can hear him like laughing Yeah. as, uh, as they're doing it. I love that stuff. There's a good point, actually. You say that, that sort of disconnect. 
technology was moving, starting to move rapidly as far as recording. Everybody else before them was used to having to yell to an audience and was the mic always had to be kept away from them. They knew that they could play with the mic that way in a way that even radio people yeah. didn't get to do, you know? Yeah, they're very subtle so with it. And then, mm -hmm. like, it's funny because then when he does mic stuff, his voice is much more baritone. Right. It really gets into, like, this kind of thing, as you know. He gets very close to it. Yeah. Uh, like, you picture them both wearing headphones, mm -hmm. hearing their voices. And so that just gives a different quality to them. And then there are also studio sketches that are very, that are, have a, there's one of my favorites is a great dating sketch where a couple's on a first date. Mm -hmm. And it's all about them clicking. Mm -hmm. But it's this really funny parody of like two people trying to impress each other, but also clicking. And he also does the rhythmic thing. Mm -hmm. She's talking about something, mm -hmm. and he's saying, "I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean." <laughs> <laughs> like this thing of the way he, they just isolate like these little vocal ticks and phrases that people have and use. Louise. Where were you? I've been going out of darling, my mind. Don't yell at me, please. Oh, darling, to be doing this terrible thing and to be late on top of it. I'm sorry. Please. No, we mustn't. Please don't oh, yell at me. I feel so awful. Oh, God, what kind of a person must I be to do a thing like this? No. I'm sick. I'm physically sick with guilt. Oh, God. Guilty, I tell you. I know. I, I've never felt just so rotten. I know. I mean, just, just dirty. I know. Just... <laughs> I know. Yeah. All right, all right. Just think how I feel, will you? Will you think how I feel? I, I do, I know. I George is my best friend. Your best friend? He's my best friend. He's my husband. Oh. <laughs> one, one of the sweetest, gentlest people. Oh. He's a saint. Oh, what a good person he is. No, he's a saint. He's a saint. Right, he's a saint. Right. The man is a saint. You're right. He's a saint. He happens to be the only saint I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's a kind, Isn't he? a loving, oh, you don't know. trusting. Trusting, you don't know. I know. You don't know, know how he trusts mm. me. He trusts me. I couldn't do it if he didn't trust me. <laughs> right. It cracked me up. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's the beginning of a type of sketch that just didn't exist beforehand. That, you know, mm. well-produced albums. Like, you know, I love Cheech and Chong. I love a, a lot of that. You know, Monty Python did some stuff that wasn't on the show. Just producing sketches was a new thing it didn't exist beforehand putting you in this little world where there's no audience to tell you when to laugh mm -hmm. you know which is odd for improv though to me because improv feeds so much off of audience energy it's weird to do improv but i feel like some of the best improv is from people who know how to do it in a setting that doesn't rely for on sure. audience feedback like super ego is one of the best mm -hmm. improvised groups out there sure yeah and their podcast is amazing mm -hmm. yeah and it's like this nicholas and may studio stuff is very proto super ego in a way mm -hmm. if you listen to it like mm -hmm. just in t because it's also about editing and precision mm -hmm. uh and in like a vocal intimacy with the microphone mm -hmm. that they have that is very very modern yeah like, is really a precursor to a lot of stuff yeah I will try and record the other album so that you can hear it. yeah that'll be my next bit of homework <laughs> is hearing <laughs> It's good. Album. It's, it's all music. It's all set to different, very emotive music. Okay. It's very good. Um, and I like comedy that gets kind of sad. <laughs> so yeah. that that definitely interests me. What, so then on this album, well, I guess that would make the adultery one appropriate because it is a little it's depressing. A little, it's a little depressing. <laughs> but like the emotion, the emotional resonance in it. I mean, <laughs> the the little cliches and the cultural stereotypes are funny. Sure. But then, like, underneath it is, like, a three different 
uh, sets of people all dealing with uh, like this huge <laughs> problem that yeah. we have at different emotional at levels. different emotional levels. Yeah, <laughs> and I think uh, yeah that that's why it still reads as so honest and so clear today. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So since we normally ask why would you recommend the album, I guess we're gonna have James say that. Yes. And I'm gonna have you say. I guess the same exact thing. Uh, yeah, you know, that is, that is the question. From somebody who loves it, why should somebody listen to it? From somebody who's just heard it, why should somebody listen to it? Yeah, you go first. I James. go first? Yeah, I think you should. Uh, just because it's, it's like, uh, it is very kind of proto-modern kind of alternative comedy, mm -hmm. I think, in a way. Mm -hmm. The whole UCB thing is, you know, definitely... And you know, evolved from what they started. I mean, they're really like they're very significant figures in like modern comedy because mm -hmm. their yeah. little group gave birth to Second City, which then gave birth to UCB, which is you know, and it's all this kind of through line. And they all they still perform at like the Del Close Marathon every year, and like mm -hmm. it's still awesome. a huge yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So they're just like they're very important figures in a kind of comedy, as you know, that was sort of about behavior. Mm-hmm and scenes mm -hmm. you know, and and but basically they're just really good performers and they're really smart and funny and you know despite the sort of references to pay telephones and, <laughs> <laughs> and satellites like it's it's very timeless a lot of it hasn't dated a second yeah it's, it just it still lands it lands in a big way right uh so it's just very enjoyable <laughs> that's all that's I'm only. one of the people who really loves the dated <laughs> shit the dated shit I love I really do when, when it's space age though that, that just gets me anything space age oh, I love oh my you know? yeah the last sketch I, I forgot that the yeah, sun a is, a, is a NASA scientist it's 1960 so it's years before the moon landing yeah and then but. it like she says you know she says, I read in the paper you keep losing them. <laughs> I keep thinking going. they're going to take it out of your pay. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mother, I don't lose them. He says, his voice cracking deliberately with no spontaneity whatsoever. <laughs> All right, Sarah. So now. I think people my age should listen to this to find out how a pay telephone works. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Albert Schweitzer was. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and uh, how NASA worked back then. <laughs> no, I, like, <laughs> I would cite a lot of the same uh, things that James just said, like mm -hmm. a lot of the same reasons. Like the, the performances are number one mm -hmm. to me, like just the character work and the, like the two of them sort of bouncing off of each other. Yeah. Is, is very, very enjoyable to listen to. But, yeah, it is kind of fascinating as a... Um, that's this word I'm looking for. Like, a, the thing you bury in a yard. and the then, time capsule? Yeah, it's a, it's a time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is fascinating yeah. to... Yeah, like they're, they're... Like, the first sketch all takes place in a payphone, which is charming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the name-dropping one, like are all <laughs> just yeah, it's very totally it's very me. much about the 1950s yeah. mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. but they're so but they're yeah but they're still kind of very timeless you know just the essence of what they're doing sure but yeah, yeah i like i like old references too yeah hey, it gives you something to 
think about it. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I love that shit. And you could just translate. It's like a time capsule you can relate to because yeah. it, it's so gregarious and nice. Yeah. You and could funny. translate. I mean, the, the telephone sketch could take place at the Genius Bar or whatever sure. and basically be the same sketch. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also read as a side note, they did a, they, they had a group with Shelley Berman and then broke off. We haven't done any Shelley Berman albums on this on this show yet, but we Who should. also did 50s Nervous Voice. Yeah. yeah. Shelley Berman, he did the <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Maybe that's guys they all broke thought off. this was really funny to kind of talk like this with a little crack in your voice, like you're kind of, kind of like an educated, oh boy, person. I'm gonna just keep talking like this. Guy. I actually have to do that. I have to do that exact voice tonight in a show. So you I'm, do? I, yeah, I do. Playing Mr. Green and Clue tonight, so I have to do Michael McKean. Oh yes. Yeah. So it's gonna be fun. Um, do either of you have anything you'd like to promote or plug? Um, Sarah this Pocock's is Tumblr. Oh yeah, my Twitter Tumblr account. and Twitter. And this is far. This is next April. This is happening, so it's far, far in the this future. This will go out before then. <laughs> oh yeah, this uh, is exciting then. I'm. Oh yeah, this is pretty exciting. I'm. I'm co-curating uh, an art show at Meltdown, and the theme is Mr. Show. Oh. And we're trying to get as many cast members as possible to come oh, to the opening, and it should awesome. be a really fun time. That's and amazing. one Mr. I, Urbaniak I, is doing I a piece. I am not an artist. Uh, He's doing a video um, piece. But I'm going to, I have an idea for a video piece. That's awesome. A sort of video installation. That's good. But no, no spoilers. No spoilers. Of course not. I don't know. I would just, uh, uh, I keep doing this podcast, mm-hmm. getting on with James Urbaniak mm-hmm. on feralaudio.com, which Sarah Pocock did the art for. That's right. I did the artwork on for his page. On beautiful. It's awesome. Drawing of me, sort of under late night duress, <laughs> <laughs> recording my podcast it. that Sarah did, and uh, that's just sort of little radio plays that started out basically as solo plays, but it's been expanding now, and like we have other actors and different people write it. I I co-write some of them, mm-hmm. and uh, so good. I would just recommend that getting if people want to find getting on with James Urbaniak and. Yeah, I'm just schmacking around. It's <laughs> like there's a possibly exciting TV gig that might be happening in a week or so, but it's not official yet, so I can't say. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not fair at all. Oh, I did a mentalist a couple weeks. A few you did weeks ago, yeah. Shit. So that's exciting, right? When's, when's that? Is, wait, I don't know. you don't know. Yeah. Come on, uh, six early, weeks. Oh, yeah, six, it's, it's weeks. Soon, soon. Okay, all right. It's not a significant role. It's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He plays nervous voice man Ooh, number yes. three. Can't I wait. didn't murder that woman. <laughs> Get away from me, mentalist. <laughs> I forgot that's his name on the show. Yes. Um, well, this was... We need to do this again. I really like this idea of the show. This is all Sarah's idea, so it's all thanks to you. But this hey. is a really good idea. Yeah, I just hatched this plan so I could... Let's turn it around. You you bring an album that I haven't heard. Ooh. Oh. I like that. Yeah, okay. So it probably won't be vinyl, but I don't care. It probably won't be vinyl. No, it'll be some... You know. It'll be good. Okay, I'll think about it. No, you have to answer right now. Oh, my God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll think of one. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that. Okay. We'll do that. Well, thank you guys for being here. Thank you. It's always such a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And a uh, comedy. Yeah. Belated, belated okay. happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. And uh, everybody, thank you for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Who's <laughs> the and Mrs. Murphy Chowder?
Hey everybody, welcome to a very special, very tiny baby episode of Comedy on Vinyl. Uh, Rob Cutner's back on the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, thanks for having me. So you wanted to talk about, you sent me an email about uh, an album that you're working on called 2776. Do you want to explain it to me? You don't have to. I no, I will though, because <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid of you. <laughs> I believe you said that last time. You're terrified. I don't believe it. Um, uh, 2776 is a huge comedy music album that some... Folks and I are working on this. Going to come out on July fourth of twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. and it's um, really a bringing together of uh, diverse streams in both comedy and music. So we've got um, Ed Helms, Amy Mann, Andrew WK, Triumph the Insult Dog, uh, Will Forte, um, Martha Plimpton, uh, Ozo Motley, which it, it's just a growing crew yeah. by the day. And basically, it's kind of a we call it kind of a musical comedy journey through America, past, present, and future. Oh, it's good. I love it. It's <laughs> so good. There's a basic storyline, but, th- but all you have to know is it sort of showcases, like, different pieces of American history, current American culture, and some sort of sci-fi-ish projections of just how bad it can get. <laughs> but each one is by an individual artist and or a comedian that you like and have probably heard of, and it's very exciting, and it all goes to charity. That's awesome. So is it's a specific charity, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... It's the Cutner Foundation for <laughs> little Cutner. Um, no, it's it's a great organization called One Kid One World. Um, they're very small and scrappy. They pass along ninety three percent of their takings to their projects, which are like small things like building schools in Kenya and El Salvador, wow. and just very small targeted micro projects. And they go in directly and they take groups and they, you know, do these little these little jobs in their great organization. And so we want to support them and. They've been very cool with us, too. That's so good. And you did just release, we didn't get to do this in time, but you did just release one single for yes. Black Friday. We For Black Friday, we, we just released our first single, which is called Toy Mageddon, <laughs> which is a song by Yola Tingo. We wrote it for Yola Tingo. Um, and it describes the great um, uprising of the Christmas toys when they became self-aware <laughs> and took revenge on their owners. And there's a, there's a beautiful story of, Christmas uh, in the middle of it, told by Ira Glass and Eugene Merman, <laughs> who, who Ira Glass has to tell the story sort of under duress from Eugene Merman, who's now his robot overlord. <laughs> That's all I'm going to give away, but I think you've heard enough. It's amazing. Oh, my and God. every and every time you buy this single on iTunes, mm-hmm. it, it goes right to the, uh, the the percentage that of our proceeds goes right to the charity. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so we're not even uh, we're not even trying to like uh, we don't have an overhead on that song. That's, was this all your idea, or did you... No, these two guys, the Levinson Brothers, who oh. I've done a lot of stuff mm-hmm. with, we did our album we had on your show, It's mm-hmm. Okay to Do Stuff, um, and they're very talented uh, guys who are really awesome, and we work well together as a troika, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is the biggest thing we probably, for our marriages will sustain this, then <laughs> <laughs> it'll be the biggest thing we've ever done. Is there, are there any anything else you can give me an idea of what's on there, or you just want to leave Yeah, it? well, as a teaser, yeah, so look out in February, uh, we have a Valentine's Day song coming out, this is an original Amy Mann song, Holy shit. Um, and there's a video coming out um, by a great video director, and it stars David Wayne and Amy and Dave Foley. Oh my god. And if you've never seen Amy Mann dressed up in a giant blue virus costume... <laughs> Let's just say this will be the, a first for you. And if you have, I want to know where. Oh, my God. What you'd eaten the night before you had that dream. Right, right. 
Holy crap. Anything with Dave Foley, though, will have me lined up to buy it, though. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, he's the best. Holy cow. Um, let me see. Uh, I don't... I, you've got some stuff to do, but let's see. Uh, is there anything else that you... Well, I mean, there, well, are there any other, like, thematically, anything <laughs> we could expect? I mean, if, if we know your work, I think we can have an idea. You do like the apocalypse, but is there anything to that effect? Well, it's all going into here right now. I mean... And uh, until further notice, but you'll be the you'll be okay. the first okay. first to ninth to know first to ninth. <laughs> um, but I wanted to say, if you want to follow the progress on this mm-hmm. um, on this uh, on this album, just go to Facebook. We have an easy page. It's twenty seven seventy six dot us. That's all you type oh, in twenty seven seventy six dot us, and that will take care of Facebook. And we do updates, and we have a Twitter account twenty two seven twenty seven seventy six updates. Mm-hmm. In both those places they have updates. Like we just had a. I'll let your listeners in on this. We had a great recording session with Will Forte and Aubrey Plaza oh, last good. week, that's and that's um, that's going to be uh, a great thing, part of the album. And mm-hmm. you know, as soon as we keep doing new things, we'll just pop, pop them in. Do you have anybody surprising you singing wise who suddenly turned out? Oh, holy crap! This person can sing, or is it mostly they're being funny when they're? Funny? <laughs> you know, we have it all around. I mean, I think you probably had a good sense of Ed Helms can sing because yes, he always right. does in the office. But this is him on his own with just a guitar, and he's. Got a beautiful voice, yeah. um, and Aubrey Plaza. Actually, I should mention as well. You sort of she plays very low key characters, yeah. but she's got a good voice too. And, That's awesome. Um, she's being funny and uh, melodic at the same time, which is a good trick. That's so awesome. Everybody, please keep an eye out for twenty seven seventy six. Follow Rob on Twitter. Also, where are you on Twitter? What's your name again? At Apocalypse How. At Apocalypse How. That's right. Okay. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for doing this. This is awesome. It's a lot of fun. And uh, everybody, listen to the album and donate to charity. Thanks so much, and have a good thing. Scattered humans gather around and hear my sorry Wondrous tale. Back when Yuletide was a time of peace, humanity was frail. On one cold December night, while children dreamt of Christmas presents, those very toys were busy plotting mankind's obsolescence. It was in every home across the land, like gift trap, Trojan horses. Mommies and daddies everywhere falling towards superior forces. My little ponies were the first to arrive. And woe to any human who collected all five. Against toy jets and airplanes, our downfall was abrupt. Their missiles were intended for ages three and up. Now mankind's mere batteries. It's a fact. We must face it. To power the machines they made. Got that one from the Matrix! Too late, we realized. We had designed our own defeat. And we regret we weren't designed to eat you all as meat. They made a terrible list of those humans who were still valuable. Checking it twice was irrelevant. We are infallible. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl and Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl. Him rolling, he got ripping mad. His eyes were bulging out. He jumped upon the piano and loudly he did shout. Who threw the overalls in Mrs. Murphy's shoulder? Nobody spoke, so he shouted all the louder.